Welcome back to What's Left to Do. I'm your host, Janelle. Strap in for a little ride through national and state housing history, folks. Laksh has an encyclopedic knowledge of how we got to this crapified state of affairs, much of which I didn't know. Be sure to look at the show notes for the website he mentions if you live in San Francisco, as well as the petition link, uh, because we need people to sign it to get London Breed's terrible ass to carry out the democratic will of the people of San Francisco. types of politicians or politics do you see as furthering uh, inequality? Like, what are, how do you conceive of things that aren't lurching us to the left, as you put it? I mean, certainly the Republican Party in the United States, by and large, mm-hmm. um, and definitely elements of the cent- more centrist parts of the Democratic Party, the blue dogs who are economically conservative and... And, um, and fucking losers. Uh-huh. Yeah, and getting in the way of things like the the pro act and, yeah. and minimum wage increase and all these different things. Yep. Yeah, that's that's definitely what I see as obstacles. Mm-hmm. And you and what do you see as what do you see as oh I want you to be emphatic in your espousing of politics quote lurching us to the left that would that would decrease and or eliminate um uh you know it's societal and economic inequalities certainly a change in the tax system a more progressive tax system federally or state or both at, at all levels federal mm-hmm. state local that's what we've been involved in in in, in bernie crowds definitely more at the local and state level where mm-hmm. we have the power mm-hmm. um to to make change mm-hmm. and um but certainly also at the federal level because that's where the greatest amount of redistribution hello happens. and uh and also like service provision and i i I have started to understand this more, spending more time in the United States that especially under Reagan, there was a lot of like attempts at uh, kind of casting government as the problem. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, what, what did Thank he you, say? Thank you, Grover Norquist. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, 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 and what Reagan said about, you know, like the most terrifying words in the English language are I'm from the government and mm-hmm. I'm here to help. Mm-hmm. It was just such a such a terrible way of, of framing things yeah. because like government in so many countries is the like lifeline or the savior, lifeline it's yeah. it's it's where services are provided mm-hmm. it's where you know it, it certainly there can be a, a corruption in, in in countries but like that's part of what you do is you try to weed out the corruption yeah. so the service provision continues unhindered that's and right people still don't like shy away from the role of the government they don't act like the private sector is going to solve all the problems that's but right. in the united states like things like housing and so on mm-hmm. um even provision of healthcare uh with 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 hmos and so on it's it's been lurching a lot more to the private sector. Yep. And obviously, whenever there's profit involved, you're paying it. You ha- you've never gotten to a point where you've like thrown up your hands like, 
fuck this trash ass country. I'm leaving. Like you've never gotten to that point or you think there's still something in this raggedy bitch worth <laughs> staying for because my man, I do not know that I would come to the same conclusion as you, but yeah. what are your, no, I understand. Mm -hmm. that. And especially so many talking to so many people who are citizens here and are just like, you know, I just want to leave at this mm -hmm. point. Like, mm -hmm. especially when Trump got elected, a lot of people like felt that way. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the way I view it is that the United States has such a big impact on the rest of the world. Ah. Um, and the, the, you know, the, the conversation on the role of government as part of it, obviously the United States as part of the cold war played a massive role in the shift towards neoliberalism. Yep. Um, but also things like the military, you mm -hmm. know, that, that directly affects so many people, especially people in, in Asia, yeah. um, where all the military bases are. That's right. Um, and and re reducing that level of role that the United States plays as the world's policeman, which mm -hmm. nobody really no one <laughs> chose from. Cho chose them to do, yeah. you know, and 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 is kind of like imposing. A lot of the rest of the world does not like it when the United States plays that role. Hello. Like, like we don't want, even if it's not affecting our country, like people don't like that level of interventionism. Right. And I feel like Americans sometimes and this is a, a slightly different conversation, kind of view it in a different way that like, especially more neoconservative folks, mm -hmm. that, you know, we have to get involved. We have to change this country. We have to change their system of governance. Mm -hmm. We need to institute like ultra conservative systems once we regime change yeah, them, yeah. Uh, do our experiments on this country. And, and the rest of the world doesn't like that, you no, know, like even... No. People need to come to the conclusion of things like democracy based on self-determination. That's and, right. And you can't force it on on a people like yeah. it, they're going to resent you for it. That's and right. I mean, even you know, India's relationship with the United Kingdom is a complex relationship. Obviously, there's the the terrors of colonization. Hmm. By and large, people try to move on from that, but you you can't really like you can't really excuse what happened. Where where the, especially the East India Trading Company, yeah, a yeah. private organization, took over, and then the monarchy took over, yeah. and that 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 system has never worked out well That's right. when it's been tried in the primary the 2016 primary were you ever for a second like a hillary guy were you ever like you know what i'm <laughs> i wish you i wish everyone could see his face right now <laughs> why were you not a why were you not a a him for hillary <laughs> well i mean as soon as she announced her campaign i just thought this is uh, tired <laughs> politics and um it's like it's not really changing anything fundamentally. It's making small incremental movements. Maybe when she gets into office, she'll be more forceful. But I have no reason to believe that. Ooh. And, um, you know, I yeah, I mean, I she was pretty neoconservative as secretary of state, uh, especially right. in things like Libya and Libya. so on. Yeah. And did you read? Um, did you ever read Cy Hirsch's um piece, like uh the rat line to the red line about like the weapons running situation from Libya to Syria? While no, she was not that one. No, <sighs> I I I read like some of her like the back channeling that was happening, yeah. and um, I don't know if it was naivety or hoping for American like correctness would prevail, but like getting involved in arming Libyans and and like arming other countries and yeah. and so on. Um. Not a great idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like goes, those yeah, yeah. those arms always end up in in the hands of a power vacuum. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and and who controls that? That's yeah, correct. So. so you were you were not you were not over the moon about Hillary. No. What did, <laughs> did you have? Did now this caused some social strife? Because you are because let me let's let's paint a picture. I mean, yeah. not that yeah. this picture needs to be painted because people get it. Because you are in 
you are in like a moderate wasteland of tech and yeah. a politics of meh. Yeah. So like, did that, did that cost you socially in terms of like you, you maybe beginning to, or you have been articulating a politic that is not moderate, that is like, I don't know if you prefer the term progressive or left, like, yeah. is this costing you socially or not really because people are, they know that you're, you know, a smart guy, you're thoughtful and they'll at least hear you out. In university, it was very different. Hmm. Uh, young people, it, it, you know, I would say the like uh, majority of Caltech probably uh, would have voted for Bernie if I had to guess. Hmm. Um, and I, I think a lot of young people were more excited about Bernie. Obviously, the real uh, impacts of things like student loan, even though Caltech is a private college, it wouldn't benefit from public colleges being tuition free. Mm -hmm. But people understood that yeah. uh, and and the need for that and mm -hmm. the need for better healthcare. Um, and you know, it was it was we did a lot of organizing effort at Caltech, and so I I, I think we were fine there. It was definitely different uh, coming into the tech industry after mm. I graduated, mm. um, because the tech industry kind of um, aligns itself a lot with the mm -hmm. most moderate forces. You yep. know, you have SF City <laughs> run by Ron Conway and and his friends. Yep. Um, anti-tax. That's right. The the industry, the 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 lube of the industry being, you know, money being, you know, headed by dipshits like Chamath and you know, like fucking, yeah, ew, the PayPal, you know, la la la, yeah, yeah, and and so that obviously uh, I don't agree with, and but at at work, you know, some people know I, I get I'm involved in pretty involved in politics, um, on the kind of progressive socialist side I, I don't really mention socialism very much because it is a you know very capitalist environment but that's sure, sure, sure. if people really pride that's what i'll tell them mm -hmm. um but it's it's it definitely feels like you know there's not quite a lot of people who are really getting involved in that kind of stuff mm -hmm. there's definitely more of the kind of folks you mentioned who are like well i'm fine um and especially many of whom are immigrants don't really see the united states as a place where they can they can change hmm. or that they will necessarily be in for their whole life mm -hmm. like that aspect i can also understand you know a cultural unfamiliarity mm -hmm. uh even you know folks who i've spoken to who have been in the united states for a while worked mm -hmm. in a few companies still don't fully like feel comfortable talking about politics uh, when, when they're an immigrant yeah, yeah, yeah. to the united states and why and, do you think you're so comfortable talking about and being involved with politics as an I, immigrant? I kind of like, you know, I because I went to an American school, I kind of spent a lot of time speaking with Americans, went to an American university. Um, I think it made me more comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, it was definitely a big change getting comfortable speaking about politics in general mm -hmm. with other people mm -hmm. uh, because it's I, I often feel like it's it's taboo to talk about. Uh, but mm -hmm. it's also I mean, it harms everyone to be taboo to talk about ah. because then you don't organize, you don't huh. you don't actually identify the issues and we all just keep struggling individually. So. Ah, and to struggle and we don't have. And what is the alternative to struggling individually? I mean, collective action. Absolutely. Because, because we, I, we're stronger when we when we have like the union or when we have uh, a force that's organizing and and trying to get people in, engaged in politics and and feeling like they can make a change and actually having the numbers of people you need to be able to make the change, extract demands from politicians and uh, so on. Okay. Um, were you involved in, at all in twenty sixteen the primary and or general? Like, what was your 2016 at yeah, the primary we were I at that point it was my senior year I had taken most of my requirements and so 
Um, especially in the uh, spring semester, I was basically doing Bernie. Mm -hmm. uh, some people would make fun of me. They would say, you're doing 36 units of Bernie Sanders, which is like <laughs> 30, 30, that's like 36 hours a week of, yeah. of, of, of like volunteering and mm -hmm. stuff. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I made an app, uh, a, a website for gamifying phone banking for ah. Bernie. Um, I, I tried to, you know, involve my tech knowledge that way. Yeah. Um, and um, and we did a lot of volunteering. We did a lot of organizing in the, in the ne nearby areas, um, especially with the community college that was nearby, Pasadena mm -hmm. City College. Mm. Um, and so that was uh, that was really important part of my last year is I, I tried to, and it was really the first time that I, I kind of got more involved in the broader Pasadena community. Mm. Um, I felt like Caltech is just kind of very isolated. Yeah, 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 an island to itself. And and tries not to the get involved in, in local issues in any way. Yeah. What were some of what 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 came into the most stark relief during your time getting more involved with the community organizing for 2016? Like what were your takeaways? What did you learn? What were your do you have any epiphanies? Any like aha moments? What what was that like? Yeah, there were several. Um getting to understand better how much like the lack of public transit i'd always seen that um and how it affects people uh i i feel like it's the bay area relatively speaking is much in a much better state when it comes to public transit mm -hmm. than southern california and, and los angeles yeah. um that was one part uh, seeing greater amounts of like homelessness uh seeing even people who are homeowners kind of like in in a precarious situation mm. um and yeah it just exposed me to a lot more different mindsets than kind of the more not everybody at caltech was middle class they do have a, a good number of people from lower income backgrounds and they offer financial aid too but it definitely leans that way and mm -hmm. it produces people who end up being yeah. like as they say in the top quintile and so i got a much more different perspective uh got to see like a lot more of, of the poverty and homelessness mm. i would say than i would otherwise see mm. you know? and what was your what was your takeaway about this the the conditions that produce it and or the solutions that can unsettle it homelessness and in particular there's so many causes the direct cause is i would say like a lack of any real guarantee to housing mm -hmm. uh the public housing system and that's what i spend all my time advocating for is public housing yeah. nowadays whether you're the public housing system from the beginning being engineered to collapse uh, and then collapsing and then uh, privatization being pointed to as a solution. Now, park right there for a second. When you say uh, being engineered to collapse, are you talking about uh, federal housing programs like Section 8 or any any public or or publicly funded housing program? And what do you mean when you say engineered to collapse? We're going to we're going to Terry yeah. here for a second. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, really, the the federal public housing system, Section Nine, public housing. The main when people think of the projects, that's that's yeah. what I mean. Um, because there's a long history to that. Mm -hmm. When when things were getting started in the early 1930s, uh, in advocating for uh, for public housing, there was a lot more of the idealistic vision of places like Vienna, which mm -hmm. was just emerging from World War One, and was like terrible housing conditions had to figure out how to do something really quickly mm. and that's how their municipal housing ended up becoming such a big component of uh, their housing system mm -hmm. singapore very similar situation 1960s terrible housing conditions government gets more involved 
in the United States, that that was kind of the original role of public housing is is kind of getting involved in improving on slum conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, but when 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 the people who were really agitating for this, and one of them is Catherine Bauer, who is a pretty famous uh, planner who was involved in agitating for this, meeting with labor unions, building the coalitions in the early 30s, uh, LBJ, when he was a con- congressman, mm-hmm. getting involved in the early stages, mm-hmm. they were advocating for a much bigger vision, which is a, a housing system that's f- more for all, huh. like more... As a, as a right rather than something that's relegated to folks who are low income. Uh. Um, and what they got is is the current system, which is means tested. And that's because of lobbying. I mm. mean, the real estate industry from the beginning did mm. not want anything to compete with public housing. Because if that if it because if they had some competition in terms of uh lessening housing as a commodity then their profits are at stake and you know i can't get rich if and, the and government the is giving me yeah that's right. yeah the whole industry would collapse mm-hmm. and and so that's why i mean you you pass the housing act in the end of the 30s and then 10 years you, you go through the world war so there's quite a lot of need for housing yeah. people need to be housed near where they're working and that's where a lot of the public housing was initially created mm-hmm. and fdr you know was very like he he I, I don't think he did a perfect job with the legislation, but he certainly like cared enough about like advocating for expansion of public housing. Mm-hmm. After that all ended, 1948, 1950, um, what happened in 1948 in, in California was there was an attempt to expand public housing to more middle income housing. Mm-hmm. Like you get more financing for that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was killed by the realtors. Mm. Um, and then in the 1950s, under a very kind of segregationist banner, the realtors and 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 their their kind of uh, grassroots astroturf mm-hmm. friends put on a statewide ballot measure that basically banned the creation of new public housing mm. in California without a vote in mm. a locality, mm-hmm. and so that was very segregationist in intent. It was intended to keep out public housing, mm-hmm. uh, and that's basically it's Article Thirty Four of the California Constitution. Mm. It passed with 50.6% of the vote hey. in, in 1950, and it's still around mm. to this day. And what is its effect today? Its effect is that, it, it, well, its immediate effect was that it it was killing public housing in its infancy. Mm-hmm. And the it, the effect now is that we have so many different workarounds. We introduced the private sector in part just to work around this, yeah. this requirement. Um, but, you know, we, uh, in, in San Francisco, it, just this past election, we passed Prop K, specifically to overcome that hurdle so we yeah. could create municipal public housing you know uh, housing at the the city level rather than uh, federally administered mm-hmm. and so it, it's still having an impact today we still have to clear article 34 hurdles mm. um it's more of just like a bureaucratic hurdle at this point but it depends right mm-hmm. like if you're in a if you're in a if you're in a very exclusionary part of the state that mm-hmm. wants to maintain its kind of suburban like high income living and it's like like scared. atherogen let's say yeah mm-hmm. and it's scared of 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 low income housing for you know kind of classist reasons very classist reasons classist i would say and racist yeah uh and racist reasons yeah then you can still vote to keep mm-hmm. out public housing mm-hmm. and and in areas like San Francisco, that's less of an issue because there's a dire need for affordable yeah, housing. Yeah. But it, it still has an impact. You could have put your enormous brain to work on anything else. Why housing? I, I got started in uh, healthcare advocacy initially because of my own experiences with the national health system. and mm-hmm. you know, Particularly Bert- the swine flu episode? 
or just in general, everything? Just, just in general, you know, I, I feel like the national health system and national health service in, in the United Kingdom has just been so much less stressful mm. uh, compared to the system in the United States. Which is rubbish. Which, yeah. And and like the I like I said, premiums, copays, deductibles, these are foreign concepts. Yeah. And and, and unless you have private insurance in the UK, which some people have as yeah. supplemental insurance, and that's a kind of issue of itself. Mm-hmm. Um and then, you know, I I kind of saw I, I was I was very involved in the single payer bill SB five six two in twenty seventeen, the California single payer bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that went down, and why did that go down? Nah, yeah, why did that go down? It it passed the state senate, and it was just laying out a process eventually that would involve require waivers from the federal government yeah, and yeah. all these other things. It was a policy document. Yeah, it was it was it was the first step. It mm-hmm. wasn't like you know like we we had separate papers and research about where the funding would come from and yep. everything. So whenever people would say, "Well, there's how no are you money in the pay bill," for it? yeah, yeah, how are you going to pay for it? It's on the bill. It wasn't didn't have to be in that bill. It uh-huh. could have been in a different bill, but um, it was ultimately it was a lot of opposition from insurance companies and pharmaceutical of companies. Course. And I saw that these were the biggest lobbyists in the United States, some of the biggest lobbyists, mm-hmm. because. Th- the biggest lobbyists are often real estate. Ha. Huh. And, and we forget about that or don't know that. And there's so much money being made off of it. Yeah. And that's why they want to protect it. The realtors, the apartment, even apartment associations, mm-hmm. landlords groups and so on. Um, and I, you know, I feel like this is maybe a theme of, of my life that I try to put myself in the place where I kind of try to solve some of the more difficult problems that mm-hmm. I see. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, the easy solutions, people are, are working on them, but the fundamental solutions, like the decommodification of the housing system, like mm. the thing that needs to be done, uh, that is, is takes so much political capital, takes so much effort that many people don't want to start doing it, that they would want to like kind of work on, on incremental reforms. That's kind of what I decided to take head on, really, is, is I, I saw because this Because it was so difficult, because it was so big. Because it was so difficult, because I felt like nobody was really involved in advocating for specifically pub- bringing back public housing at the time. And this was in, you know, 2017 or so, when I remember, you know, Ben Becker, uh, one of the co-founders of the Bernie Kratz, uh, I remember talking with him, just like, you know, mentioning that we're probably one of the few people at the time who were actually talking about bringing back public housing and who weren't trying to talk about public housing in kind of a negative light in Mm. the light of this is something that we should kill Mm. and make sure that it enjoys like a swift death and and, and so on. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's why we felt like we had to really get involved in it. And Mm -hmm. and we later found out that a lot of other groups were having kind of the same thoughts across the country. And Mm -hmm. and that's where there's this entire homes guarantee campaign Mm -hmm. that came up since we got started completely independently of us that was trying to do the tenant organizing and so on to build up to a vision of 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 housing for all that's mm-hmm. you know can can be public housing as well mm-hmm. and uh and soon after we started getting involved in working on the ballot measure called the community housing act which is where we kind of got started with a lot of this mm-hmm. um there was a white paper published uh called social housing in the united states that mm-hmm. was 2018 mm-hmm. and that was a really important paper for getting people to look at other models mm-hmm. of housing mm-hmm. And, and and so a lot of excitement was starting to build up around that time. And it felt like, you know, we had to play a role in kind of moving this conversation forward. Mm-hmm. And and also, like, 
learning the history, the history like the, that's recorded, you know, the history that's in meeting minutes of the housing authority, that's in newspaper articles, but also the history of of, of people who mm. lived in public housing mm. and and their own experiences and 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 how all of that could have been avoided if there was a financially self-sustaining system. Mm. Um, and and it just made me realize just all the issues that were there with the housing authority system from the beginning. I mean, it's it, one one thing people often wonder is, well, why 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 did housing public housing have so much of a problem in cities? And then you know Republicans are like, oh, they're Democrat-run cities; they can't run things competently. Blah blah mm -hmm. blah. That's what they say. Mm -hmm. But the the speculation is so high in cities. The huh. cost of land is so huh. high. The cost of labor is so mm -hmm. high in cities. Mm -hmm. So many of these costs are so high in cities that are not as high in rural areas. Right. Um, and so that was not properly accounted for from the beginning by HUD ah, when it came to. Wait, wait, wait. Yes, yes. you're exactly right. How would ha how would it have been more properly accounted for at that time? If like you, I mean, obviously it's, this is not your fault. I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah. If you, if, if Locks were to be in the room at the time with HUD, knowing what you know now, what would you have then raised at that point? I, several things, you know, the local price indices have to be taken into account. Uh, the cost of labor and so on locally varies a huge amount and mm -hmm. like even like city to city. So that needs to be taken into account. But I mean, also like fundamentally, uh, a lot of the, the kind of vision of public housing was, well, we'll, we'll set it up. And we'll focus a lot of our funds on the development and the, the ribbon cutting, you know, for the new buildings. And then the maintenance, you know, it should sustain itself. And mm. that's not a guarantee. That depends on who's paying rent, how much rent they're paying. Mm -hmm. Is that enough to even cover the basic operating costs? And right. which well, it was not, yeah. uh, you know, for most of the history of public housing. And especially with things like white, like white flight, mm -hmm. like suburbanization, uh, the increased concentration of poverty in public housing, which mm -hmm. was not the fault of tenants. It was right. just uh, was the design. It, it was a design and it was means tested. So it was kind of limited in that way as mm -hmm. well. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and and all of these things compounded to make a system that was constantly with having huge backlogs, having huge uh, needs for more uh, operating subsidies and more, you know, capital subsidies to fund the bigger maintenance that they had to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, repairing elevators, things like yep. that, 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 that fell to the wayside. And so it, it, it basically like trying to think if this had been done right 70 years, 80 years, 90 years or so ago, how, how would it have been done? And then trying to look to other parts of the world that managed to do that. Huh. Now, often they were doing it like, like Vienna is one that I talk about a lot. Vienna was doing it because they were coming out of, uh, you know, basically terrible housing conditions and they, it was desperately needed. They That's needed right. state action mm -hmm. to, to get involved. Um, in the United States, it's not in that same situation. I think that is part of the difficulty it faces uh. is like getting people to maybe, uh, give up the comfortable notion that they might have about housing which not everybody has that notion mm -hmm. and kind of entrust the public sector to do a better job right uh and in providing that to everyone can you talk about the role that housing plays in the political economy of california in particular in the broader political economy of of california i mean i feel like uh while a lot more cities are becoming majority tenant or even super majority mm -hmm. tenant um the uh, sometimes the the laws are kind of written to favor kind of wealthy property owners mm -hmm. who 
um, in a way also pay like some amount in property tax. Prop 13 limits that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely feels like the, I, I still feel like statewide, the primary constituent for housing um, besides the, the, the real estate lobbies are more sort of affluent uh, homeowners who mm-hmm. might have might want to like exclude people engage in what I would call like modern day segregation. Mm, say um, more about that. Explain the explain explain what you mean in the context. Yeah, that. I mean it's just a common thing, and and you see it come up even to an extent in in Redwood City, uh, where there's a lot of classism about low income housing, mm. supportive housing, housing that prevents people from becoming homeless, mm-hmm. and, like SROs and such. Yeah. Well, well, permanent supportive housing. I, mm-hmm. I, I have like issues with SRO model because I feel like it, it doesn't provide enough ah, to the tenants. I see. I see. But it, it is, I mean, the SROs have a long history in San Francisco as well. It used to be kind of this kind of workforce housing mm-hmm. that was for people who wanted like a very like small space to live in and minimal amenities. But um, yeah, and, and I mean, permanent supportive housing like and and services for people who need them it's just been drawing opposition because people are are you know classes and people are 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 scared sometimes like they 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 see people who are might be homeless and like you know have developed some kind of mental health issues because obviously that's a incredibly difficult life to live and like sometimes like people end up you know falling into addiction just to survive yeah i mean that's 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 what a lot of people don't understand that a lot of people don't have that level of um, empathy and then a lot of people kind of try to organize to keep people like that out you know send them to san francisco or something Mm. that that's what the conversation is in in the suburbia of california which i've started to understand more having moved out of san francisco Mm. um and 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 so like the uh, the it, it's it's difficult to move things through the legislature that are kind of that we're more easily able to move in San Francisco around things like properly funding affordable housing, getting started with municipal housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, Alex Lee is is is, yeah. is working on a bill for social housing mm-hmm. at the state level. I think without him taking the lead, it would have been very difficult to get something mm-hmm. like that started mm-hmm. in Sacramento. Mm, I see. Um, so talk about some of your work uh, i don't know if legislatively is the right term but like proposition wise regarding housing that you undertook and like what you hope to accomplish with those things and where are you like what are you looking toward in terms of the new efforts that you're undertaking regarding the 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 fight for housing here yeah so in in uh, 2017 18 or so ben when he was like six years old go ahead Uh (laughs) uh-huh Ben Becker, uh, basically, after the Trump election, Ben Becker, one of the co-founders of the Bernie Kratz, Claire Lau, their experience growing up in Hong Kong public housing and public housing in other parts of the world Mm -hmm. kind of informed what they saw as a necessary solution, which is involving the government um, more. And I, you know, I first got involved with what they were talking about just I think it was middle of 2017, Ben like, you know, called for a couple of the Bernie Kratz oops, who were who were interested in this to you know, come to a bar and, and just talk about the, what was at that point a bullet point idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I saw it and I, I thought, you know, this is what I've been thinking of as the solution for a long time, because mm-hmm. we talk about greater public sector involvement in healthcare with mm-hmm. Medicare for all. We're not broaching that conversation with housing. Uh- and that's because in part because of the history of public housing, which sure. we have to kind of confront mm-hmm. and 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 uh, and learn from. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I saw that opportunity with what Ben was working on. And 
we wanted to do something big. We wanted to do something where we would raise hundreds of millions of dollars a year through a tax mm -hmm. and fund about 500 units a year once the program got up and running. Mm -hmm. 500 units a year of financially sustaining municipal housing uh, at the local level in meaning, San Francisco. Meaning at, for, for, for the city? For San the city of San gotcha. Francisco, mm -hmm. um, it would be either buying uh, existing buildings and, mm -hmm. and basically, you know, municipalizing them mm -hmm. or uh, new construction, ah. which is just more expensive. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's what we were kind of laying out as the uh, initial parameters when we started working on the legislation. And I kind of taught myself like how law works and how to write law. And how did you do that? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I viewed it as this is going to sound weird, but I viewed it as a programming language. Ah, because tell me what you mean by that. Because well, laws are legal codes, right? Uh -huh. you, you make definitions, you use the definitions and you, you kind of, uh, you have to be very precise with uh, what you say. Uh -huh. And, 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 uh, even a single word wrong sure. can, can end up affecting how your law is interpreted. And mm. so that's very similar to programming for me. Huh? Um, and listen here. Okay. Here's what I think is important about what you just said. I think that, I, I think that a lot of times unnecessarily, a lot of times in like lefty circles, like, you know, having a, having a tech background or ways to think about things can sometimes be derided or poo pooed because yeah. I mean, you know, people who work in tech have gotten a bad yeah. reputation for many, but the, it, it, it can be, I'm not saying that's the only way of thinking about things, but it can be useful. It can be, it can give you a useful set of tools to make sense of how to do things outside of tech. So I'm just saying that that with you, Encyclopedia Brown over here, <laughs> you learning how to like write laws because you kind of took the part of your brain that understands and knows how to like interpret, write, quote, make code run. Like you use that to help you learn how to interpret, write, and make law run, if you will. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and it's, it's like, I mean, I feel like when you start writing code in a new language is you have to see how other people write code you need to see code examples ah. and then you do it yourself ah. so i looked at other ordinances that did what we wanted to do for uh -huh. tax uh -huh. i read the san francisco charter like uh to understand what, what when do we need to change the charter when mm. do we not need to change the charter mm. and then your law is a lot a lot more complex it's like a lot of unwritten rules you kind of need to figure out by reading memos and even court cases like yep. that's the thing that i was less familiar with getting involved in the beginning mm -hmm. um and obviously like it wasn't just like we were going to write what I, whatever i took and yeah, then yeah. put it on the ballot we had to go through legal review with of attorneys uh, but we had a starting point at least yeah. with like something that looked like law mm -hmm. um and the uh, you know attorney review really helped bring in the other aspect which is case law uh which is the hard part to find out about mm -hmm. if you're not as familiar which is like you know well uh, is the government actually able to do this even if there's no law mm. explicitly against it? Well, there's case law ah. against it. And mm. so that that living in the, the system that's less statutory, that's more common law, uh -huh. like the United States, that that's something that I, I wasn't as familiar with. And so we you know, we formed the the I, I took the bullet points that we had. We formed the legislation initially for um, which for what? For a ballot measure in 2018 called the Community Housing Act, which was gonna tax uh, raise about $200 million a year in revenue mm -hmm. to fund this new program that mm -hmm. would be municipal housing. It would have child care centers mm -hmm. nearby, public transit nearby, mm -hmm. um, and all kinds of facilities, uh, empower the tenants, have them be able to organize in tenant associations. We call them community councils so mm -hmm. that they could have some amount of self-determination in, in the way the housing runs. Ah. Um, and so we were, you know, talking about these ideas, um, 
And we went for the ballot in 2018. And mm -hmm. we were we were not ready at that point, but mm -hmm. we went for the ballot because at the same time, there was a state, state ballot measure that was going to raise the threshold for any tax in California to need two thirds to pass. And that is does not sound good. So and yeah. you understood that to possibly result in what? In a court challenge if we went for a later ballot. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely, like it would be illegal if we tried to pass with 50% of the vote mm -hmm. at a later ballot. Mm -hmm. um, and so this, this effort, this state ballot measure in 2018 was being pushed by the beverage industry, hmm. the American Beverage Association, the California Business Roundtable, basically the business folks. Yeah. Um, and they want... they. <laughs> There was an angle to this that I didn't understand until after we were like, oh, crap, we need to run this campaign now, because if we don't run this now, uh -huh. then we won't be able to run this again uh, uh, uh. for the and I, I being like at that point, I don't know, 23, 24 years old, mm -hmm. like looking at this and being like the rest of my life, I'm not going to be able to raise a tax. Uh. I need two thirds of the vote. Mm -hmm. To raise a tax and so yeah. you know we were like let's let's put this on the ballot mm -hmm. through signatures because there was a loophole if you put it on the ballot through signatures mm -hmm. it only needs 50 percent to mm -hmm. pass um and we we rushed to get that campaign started the bernie crowds were a huge help mm -hmm. uh we what were was the angle hold on you said that there was an angle about this that you didn't realize until afterward the angle was that you would never be able to raise a new tax if the state measure passed there was an end goal that the beverage industry had, which, which I, was? I wasn't aware of, which uh, happened kind of later on. So we were trying to gather the signatures. In the end, we couldn't gather the signatures just because mm -hmm. we were like, it was so like last minute. Yeah. Um, and we should have, we didn't plan for this long enough. We hadn't done it before. Yeah. Um, and we weren't able to get on the ballot. But that was like at the end of June. In the next couple of days, all the state ballot measures had to be finalized. The state legislature strikes a deal mm -hmm. with the beverage industry, mm -hmm. which had enough signatures to put mm -hmm. it on the ballot. Mm -hmm. They said, we're going to give you, uh, the beverage industry wanted a moratorium on soda taxes. This whole time, the uh -huh. beverage industry was sponsoring this measure that mm -hmm. would have raised the threshold for any tax uh -huh. in California to pass at the local level uh -huh. so that it needs two thirds of the vote to pass. Because what they're actually after was they wanted to repeal the soda taxes. They wanted to have a moratorium on any new soda taxes, including a bunch of them that were going for the 2018 ballot that same year. So there were going to be new soda taxes introduced? And potentially more after 2018. Oh. Okay. So like in soda taxes, like Cal uh, San Francisco passed like a general fund tax. Mm -hmm. Um, there's this whole thing in California. If a tax is for the general fund, it mm -hmm. only needs 50% of the vote yes. at the local level. Okay. If it's a special tax, it needs two thirds. And there was a recent loophole, unless it's put on the ballot through signatures. Ah. And so they wanted to make the threshold two thirds for any tax. Anything oh. that goes to fund the government at all needs two thirds of the vote to pass. I got you. Because what they really, because what their end goal was, say it again, because I'm, I'm, I'm not slow, but my brain yeah. is working slow. They Their end goal was to get a moratorium on all and any new soda taxes. And uh, and other taxes and in others. general. I okay. mean, they're all aligned with the capitalists, you know, like yeah. like we are, like, you know, progressives are with labor. They're yeah. aligned with capital. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what their goal was with the ballot measure. Uh -huh. At the end of the day, they ended up pulling it off because the legislature uh -huh. gave them a moratorium on soda taxes oh, for 10 was, years. Oh, so that was like good enough for them to like back off. Yeah, they backed off. Oh, I and see. that all happened after we kind of went through this mess of, oh, crap, we need to get on the yeah. ballot. Yeah. Let's learn how signature gathering works. Yeah. We were so we were really close at that time, uh, but, you know, just didn't make it because 
it would have taken quite a lot of money to collect the signatures at the yeah, end. Yeah. Um, and so we didn't make it on the ballot at that time, um, which I think at the end of the day was not terrible because, uh, you know, I feel like it was a very early draft of the I legislation. See. We needed to get more input. Yeah. We needed to uh, kind of build more support among a lot of groups. You had to iterate. This is your first. This is your first yeah. crack at it. You weren't. You're not professionals. Yeah. 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 And and we we uh you know we had to like meet with more folks, make sure that like they kind of got over the initial shock that you're trying to bring back public housing, mm -hmm. which is still something we deal with today. Yeah. Um and and kind of uh, explain what we're trying to do, and so that's what we spent the next two years working on, um until and right before the pandemic we were going to do this um. We were going to bring back another ballot measure, mm -hmm. basically a very similar idea, um, more funding, more well thought out with more community group support. Mm -hmm. uh, we got labor union support early on. Uh, we had, uh, you know, Poor Magazine, which has a lot of public housing tenants that they work with. Mm -hmm. We met with them, we listened to them and we took that feedback. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think we were on a much better start. We started in, in March mm -hmm. rather than starting in like uh, the beginning of May, which yeah. gave us two extra months to gather signatures. Yeah. And then COVID happened. Oh, fuck. And then we couldn't gather signatures yeah. all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. And then um, basically what happened in the next couple of months as the pandemic was happening is we work with uh, Dean Preston's office. Dean mm -hmm. Preston, somebody who Bernie Kratz helped elect yeah. uh, to District 5 supervisor. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to do something similar to what we were doing, uh, which basically, uh, although he wanted to defer more of the details to the legislation so we don't have to do everything on the ballot, mm -hmm. just the parts that need to go to the ballot, go to the ballot. Uh -huh. And so that's what Prop K was in the 2020 election is Prop K was the authorization for public housing that we would need mm -hmm. in order to not have to go back to the ballot. Because you, you, needed, you need that authorization, you need that proposition to provide authorization so that then you guys there could be legislation for like raising the money for it. Is that is that correct? You need the authorization uh, just to even build or buy a single unit uh -huh. uh, because of this 1950 law called Article 34, which was passed by segregationists who mm. wanted to keep out public housing. So uh. you need local approval before even a single unit of public housing can be bought or built. Uh. And SF had approval for private affordable housing they just didn't have anything for public housing i see because you know kind of the trend of neoliberalization ed lee mm -hmm. gavin newsom everybody Ooh. leading up to them uh was to move away from public housing yeah. and we were kind of shifting things back back um and so that dean helped with prop k and prop i was the tax mm. the transfer tax that was going to help fund uh not just uh you know, public housing and social housing, but also rent relief hmm. more broadly mm -hmm. uh, for folks who were suffering during COVID. Yeah. Uh, and so those were the two ballot measures that kind of came to fruition in the time that the pandemic hit. Oof. And so we were trying to basically uh, do the best that we could at that time. Uh, but we, we, you know, we definitely had this much bigger vision of like trying to get this program started, hundreds of millions of dollars, 500 units a year. Probably like uh, as as far as local government moves, it, it was like probably a very like quick acceleration. Mm -hmm. um, they're they're not used to like I, I I think in the in terms of the private sector when it comes to things like hiring, there's more of a willingness to to do that kind of massive expansion. But in in the U.S. government, like it's much more uh, people are much much more afraid of the risks and so on. Yeah. But that's kind of what's what's needed, right? Like yeah. I feel like 500 units uh, to me was like. A drop in the bucket. It's a drop in the bucket compared to private development and yeah. compared to the need. And uh, we're going to have to start much smaller with mm -hmm. that. We're mm -hmm. trying to really. Because what was what was the fate of Prop K and Prop I? Remind me. 
Prop K and Prop I, they both passed. Okay. Um, Prop K. Hi yo. Uh, yeah, Prop K got seventy three and a half percent of the vote. Mm-hmm. Prop I got fifty eight, and all it needed. Prop I only needed fifty percent of the vote. Right, I'll take it. But the thing about that is because it only needed fifty percent, um, it was a general fund tax. It went it went to the general fund, and there was an intent to use that money uh-huh. for social housing and rent relief, which the the legislative body, the Board of Supervisors of San Francisco, repeatedly uh, uh, you know upheld that intent. Uh, and and they, that's bad or good? Well, it's 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 good that they upheld the intent. Uh-huh. It's bad that right now the mayor is acting like none of this happened and basically wants to use that money for whatever she wants. Because London Breed is horrible. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. That's the nicest way I could say that. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's technically, legally, she's in the right because the tax system is set up so that, like I said, special tax, if you're dedicating it to a specific pers- purpose, it needs two thirds to pass. Uh-huh. The reason why it's set up that way is because the Republicans who passed that law mm-hmm knew that if people n- know where their money is going, huh. then they're going to be more likely to approve it. Yeah. And so they said, okay, it needs two thirds to pass mm-hmm. if it's a special tax. Uh-huh. And then they they kind of cover it up with like, oh, it makes it more difficult for government to work flexibly, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It, That's horrible. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, but, I, and, and so legally she is in the right, although... Though the intent of it is to blank. To fund rent relief and fund affordable housing, including public housing. And, and she's doing what? With it? She's just sitting on it now with her thumb in her ass or she's using it for other things? She's using it for leverage for budget negotiations, which are happening right now uh-huh. uh, because the budget uh, has is due basically at the end of June. Uh-huh. Uh, fiscal year starts in July. Mm-hmm. And so um, the first half of the Prop I money for this year mm-hmm. has been appropriated. The Board of Supervisors has the ability to do something called a supplemental appropriation, which is uh, basically uh, dedicating the funds outside of the regular budget uh, process. That's mm-hmm. why it's called supplemental. Uh-huh. Uh, and so they they already dedicated the 50-50 split for rent relief and social housing. Uh-huh. They already did that oh, for this half. But it's really the upcoming budget years that are uncertain. Sure. And London Breed basically trying to use, you know, oh, well, we don't know how long the federal aid is going to last. Mm-hmm. Um, all kinds of excuses, which they probably know much more than they're letting on because they have relations with DC and right. So on. And also, it's, I think that's really hilarious. I mean, this again, this is partially why I got in your ass about this interview. Is that the like identity politics would tell you like, oh, a black woman who grew up in public, in public housing, housing in Plaza East. would be, uh, you know, a champion of the poor who are, you know, you know, don't. Don't enjoy, you know, the dignity of housing because she understands firsthand, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, gotcha, bitch. No, that's not how it works out with this one because uh, look at her now. Look at this, this child of the projects who is what? trying to stonewall uh, expanding public housing, which is a little curious. It's a little ironic and it's really disgusting, actually. Mm -hmm. I, I, I... I respect like her background, where she came from. Why? In 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 the in well, I mean, I the difficulty that she had to deal with in public housing, which is something I I didn't have to sure. like. Had someone you sure, didn't sure, have to sure. basically say it again. I think it's it's atrocious. I it's, mean, it's thank you. it's because 
Well, I mean, the thing people have to understand about that kind of a story about somebody talking about their, them growing up in public housing, the consultants basically work on that story Hello. In, a, in a campaign. And the consultants are trying to sell you the candidate. That's right. And the candidate is, in the meanwhile, making their own deals. That's right. Working with, as she does often, the Chamber of Commerce. That's right. Plaza East, was uh, where, where she grew up, was actually one of the places that was first redeveloped under Hope 6. Hope 6 was the federal government's first like privatization efforts mm -hmm. in the i think in uh, plaza used to happen in the late 90s or so mm -hmm. um and it got redeveloped by uh i forget the name it's like mccormick baron or something like that mm -hmm. um and it was done by a private uh not not a non-profit later on the united later on san francisco used more non-profits for its privatization because they thought it was you know better to have community-based non-profits mm -hmm. um and now that same developer, 20 years down the line, that building is, is just 20 years old. Yeah. They, want, they wanted to redevelop it because they were like, oh, the cost of doing repairs is so high mm -hmm. that based on this formula, we are allowed to do redevelopment. Right. Um, and London Breed was actually supporting them yeah. in doing that redevelopment of in Plaza East. Because what do you think her problem? I mean, how, how much do you think her problem was getting greased to go along with it? Yeah. And, and like the thing about the thing about. San Francisco as a city and county is that the mayor controls the entire housing authority. Yeah. The Board of Supervisors has no control over it. Yep. It's entirely under the thumb of the mayor. Yep. Um, and and so um she appointed the commissioners who basically green lighted this redevelopment. Yep. HUD at the federal level, now with the Biden administration. Ended up saying no. The developer is overinflating the repair costs. Oh, the developer should isn't that a goddamn hoot? <laughs> that are extremely like moderate, the extremely moderate administration. Sorry, I just have to do this for a second. The extremely moderate uh, administration, federal administration under one Joseph Robinette Biden, had to be the one to come in and be like, er, "You're tripping a little bit." Girl, bitch, if you don't, I mean, she endorsed somewhere. Bloom, she endorsed Bloomberg, right? I yeah, mean, that's like, right. Like Again, she, because you know she, she she got bills to pay, and and why not sell out to a fuck? I I really can't. Yeah, stand I mean, I mean Bloomberg, yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Does a lot of lobbying in cities, like on his pet issues, yeah. and also like on on things that make him look good, like right. the the kind of soda soda tax, anti vaping sort of thing. He was very involved in that. Yeah, but why does yeah. why does why is okay? We're getting off topic here, yeah. and I'm gonna get us back on topic. I'm so sorry, <laughs> but. Why is that so? The soda tax is the, is the most classist, racist, yeah. stupidest fucking book. But that like was just the cause celebrate for so for too long for so many years of like liberals like I yeah. was, and it's just like no, I would support a flat sugar tax across the board so that your fucking boba is yeah. taxed the same as you know yeah. some poor person's Coca Cola like. I'm fine with that, but don't, don't, don't yeah. be, don't like envelop, don't wrap up a regressive tax in some bullshit paternalistic, like, yeah. oh, I care about your health. Oh, really? Because I can't go to a doctor. I can't afford to go to the doctor, but you care about my health yeah. now. Like, fuck off. Anyway, sorry. <clears throat> yeah. Where were we? London Bree. London Bree. Yeah, sorry. I always... <laughs> London, so the so the so federally, HUD had to come in and, and like thwart her plans. Yeah. She's such a ah! go ahead. And this was just a couple weeks ago. Like yeah. so you know, Dean this was in Dean Preston's district. And so yeah. he had been working with the tenants on trying to get a sense of where, where they were, were mm -hmm. they organizing, mm -hmm. getting them to sign on to like a petition that they want to see repairs happen yeah. at this 20 year old building. I and do they, not want the whole thing raised. Yeah. I don't want to be, I don't want to be put out of a house. I want it, I want it maintained because yeah. 
because I, I deserve, you know, not to, I don't know what the issues are there, but I don't, I don't deserve, you know, black mold to inhale black mold all the the time or, you know, pests or rodents or whatever the issues may be like, no, 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 there's, there's money to repair so that the people live here who live here are able to live in some semblance of dignity and comfort. Yeah. You fucking snake. And, and, and and so Dean was trying to organize with the tenants and raise like, got this featured in the public press and a couple Couple of days afterwards, you know, HUD basically came in and delivered came in the and, smackdown. Yeah, and and and, Thank God. and I think I it's it's very early to tell how the new HUD director is working. So far, like I've just been grateful compared <laughs> to definitely the previous administration. Was well, Ben Carson was HUD before? Right? Yeah, and and <laughs> and and um and so uh the 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 current work that's happening is definitely better uh-huh. um i don't think it's kind of at the scale that we're thinking about about sure. trying to do public housing as a right, right public housing for all same way we think about public transit right. and all these other things public schools it's um, inc- it's incrementally good but it's not sufficient it's not wholly yeah. sufficient i got you yeah That's so I, and at least it's it's stopping the worst things and even like stopping london Breed it's stopping the doing... worst actors yeah. among them being chief among them being one london motherfucking breed i'm uh-huh. just and and the surprising part of it is that she grew up there right and that's she, not surprised that that's actually yeah. that is actually predictable and one should predict it there should be some and maybe i'll get you to write a social algorithm to predict fucking political behavior but and this isn't always the case and i'm being an asshole but you know the poor and more destitute you know someone's story is to being sold sold to people that is the exact that is the exact area you need to watch where they will fuck you like when they get when they ascend to power because like you know no one would think that you know she, she you know she would be such a such a um an ardent opponent of public yeah. housing because this is a part of her story and oh no because this is her lived experience she would never la la no 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 that's exactly what you need to watch out for um and because you know she you know I'm sure, you know, it's it's all on her to, you know, make, you know, be the backstop for her or what the fuck ever. It's like she is more ripe for uh, corruption and being bought off than would a Dean Preston because, well, well, he's rich. But. I mean, I, mean I, I don't know if that's always the case, uh, huh. but it's ultimately you have to look at who's backing yeah. the politician yes, because yes, yes, every yes. every politician has some group that they're yeah. using Beholding to get to power. Yeah, 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 and, yeah, and like... With Dean, it's more of the labor and like DSA and and Bernie Kratz mm-hmm. and kind of the the progressive wing of SF politics. And with London Breed, it is you know kind of folks like Chamber of Commerce, yep. like who she's repeatedly you know supported in in their efforts to kill taxes, yep. which give her more money as yeah. mayor, yeah. which she then decides to spend however she wants. That's like right. she was, I don't think she was formally opposed to Prop I because she learned her lesson from Ooh. Prop C, mm-hmm. the homelessness Prop C. Mm-hmm where she came out against it and David Chu and, and Scott Wiener came out against it and they were heavily criticized for that yep. uh, and and probably helped tank it mm-hmm. uh, below two-thirds. Mm-hmm. Um, and she didn't come out, I don't think she directly came out against Prop I but uh, this past year, but she was definitely kind of working behind the scenes mm-hmm. and trying to paint it in a negative light. And you, you even see that in the controller analysis, which comes out, the controller of San Francisco is an economist in the sense of I would say like a, a more conservative economist mm-hmm. looks at taxes as like you know a net negative on businesses mm-hmm. doesn't really study I guess the positive impacts that taxing sure. can have in creating permanent infrastructure and so yeah. on so obviously the controller is going to provide a very biased analysis for any tax yeah 
Uh, and then that kind of stuff is kind of put out there and it's put out as an independent analysis. An independent and neutral, an objective analysis, an objective as analysis. if that is, it's as if it is independent of the political forces um, yeah. that are present in um, San Francisco politics. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, so like, you know, the controller puts out a report, it sounds pretty negative. Although actually, if you read it, like it says that this tax might cost like a fraction of a percentage point of GDP, mm -hmm. like a fraction of a percentage point of GDP growth even. Mm -hmm. Like it's so negligible because yeah. it's a transfer tax. It's yeah. a tax on residential sales of properties. It's mostly going to affect big real estate trusts That's and right. people who are big developers who are selling their property maybe after they're de they've developed it or yeah. something like that. And yeah. so like they just had to twist it in all kinds of ways. Mm -hmm. There were all kinds of lies about Prop I, like how it would affect small businesses. Small mm -hmm. businesses wouldn't even pay the tax. Yeah, that's right. Um, it was just uh, just completely absurd, but mm -hmm. they tried to throw everything against the wall. And, and it didn't stick. It's, it got 58%. I think yeah. it would have gotten more if they, if they hadn't been lying so much about yeah. it. Um, but London Breed, while she was not, like I think, outwardly against Prop I, she certainly uh, enabled many of these. Yeah, things. and stoked the stoked the the fires in the background. And that's so now we have to deal with that. Now like she wants to use that money for other purposes um and What is our what are what is what is the leverage that we or what what can be done to get her to back the fuck up and let it yeah. be used for what it is intended to be used for going forward not just the first half before the new fiscal year starts. At the moment, what, what is starting to get organized, because this, like her unwillingness to obey this promise, she only became public about it recently. Mm -hmm. So now we're trying to organize folks calling into the office in, just for the immediate budget cycle, uh -huh. making sure that that's taken care of, mm -hmm. that it's made clear. The other half is the board of supervisors. They have less of a role in the budget process. SF is a very strong mayor yeah. city. city yeah. The mayor basically sets most of the budget and then the board of supervisors make very small Tweets. adjustments. Mm -hmm. Um, so they have some amount of control there. And the board has been pretty strongly more than a veto-proof amount in support of spending, spending prop I as intended. Mm -hmm. um, so that's another way to work around it. Ultimately, like if this continues to be an issue, then what happens is maybe you have a set-aside in the charter, mm -hmm. in the city charter where you say, okay, we've already raised this amount of revenue. Here's the revenue source. It was prop I. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to set it aside for this purpose and you can't disagree with it in the budget uh, process. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So, but, so in the, but in the meantime, before, before we get to like changing the charter, yeah. it's we need to be calling in during the budget hearings regarding prop I. What group, how, if people are interested in plugging in to be able to do that, how would they find their way to learn how to do that? What they should do? Tell us, please. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say like immediately we have this website we still run for the Community Housing Act. It's www.sfcommunity.us. Mm -hmm. uh, if people sign up to that mailing list, we'll, we'll include them in the budget advocacy that's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're going to mostly focus on the mayor because I don't, the board of supervisors is not the issue. We need to make sure the mayor right. knows. Right. Um, we've already actually we been doing. We got the pop off yeah. at the mayor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and we've been actually doing letter writing campaigns to the mayor for a bit on prop I and K. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think now that like, uh, and I, I think part of what she's doing is for more leverage yeah. in negotiations, but we need to say that's not acceptable. Like that's not appropriate. She, she's feigning ignorance here. She's saying, Ooh. oh, prop I, it was a general fund tax. Like it's not written into the law, mm -hmm. but th that's like, if you basically close your ears, yeah. ignored everything that was happening in the yeah. election, yeah. ignore the window sign that was like emergency rent relief and affordable housing yeah. and and just we're like operating in a vacuum where you're only looking at the legal text a narrow literal yeah. interpretation 
yeah uh, the legal text uh-huh yeah and 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 it doesn't look at the board like pass a resolution on the use of funds the board already dedicated the use of funds mm-hmm. for this first half of mm-hmm. the year mm-hmm. um and and she's just hoping people don't don't know that and we can't let that happen so what's that website again yeah www.sfcommunity.us uh-huh. um and it's get on the mailing list so that you can get plugged in um if if you want to join in on this fight of <clears throat> keeping London Breed's feet to the fire on something that she's trying to play dumb about. And I think, like, ultimately, it's it's difficult because in a, in other places, like County of Santa Clara, mm-hmm. um, they have a board of supervisors, but their executive is basically somebody that the board of supervisors appoints. Mm. And so they don't have an elected who can say, oh, well, I'm representing the will of the people. Right. And Take I'm going to do what I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and so like and, and completely ignore the what I think the I think the legislative branch when it's broken up by districts mm-hmm. is way more democratic than uh-huh. like a single person yeah. can ever claim to be. Yeah. And so um, that's a big issue in San Francisco. Um, and I, I think like. There has to be a challenge to the mayor in 2023. I'm not seeing one coming right now. Um, <gasps> really? Not one? I, 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 I have heard a few things, but it's just all rumors at this point. Sure, state. sure, sure. Uh, but we can't any- let her have a second fucking time. It, if anybody is serious, you know, like it has to get started and now it, soon. And then yeah. like 2022, like as soon as that November 2022 election is done, mm-hmm. 2023 is when uh, the mayor's race is up. Yeah. So. I, yeah, we can't because she, it can't be. She's, she's just. She's just the worst <clears throat> in many regards. She's just there've been way too many uh, uh there've been way too many deliberate fumbles uh j- even in 2020 alone like yeah. not how like not taking the money the aid given to like uh house the homeless during the yeah. pandemic where like it's not going to I don't I don't believe there there would have been a net negative financially or fiscally to the city to do that i believe they got federal funds to do that and she just refused yeah she so initially the federal funding was less sure initially but mm-hmm. yeah i mean it, it was just the board passed this this law like requiring the the executive the mayor to do like everything that they could to try to get thousands and thousands more homeless people off the streets in the right. pandemic right. than she ended up doing yeah and initially she was basically like oh i'm i'm not even really gonna bother with this or right. not even gonna fully implement this right um, more federal money came in that made it a little bit easier. But then even after the election, mm-hmm. um, there was a, there was a organizing happening because the homelessness and supportive housing department, which is largely under her control, yeah. um, wanted to like start to transition people out and stop using those vacant hotel rooms for housing new people. Mm-hmm. They basically wanted to close the pipeline in mm-hmm. and transition people out, even though they didn't really have like a clear exit plan right, right. not there's not enough permanent supportive housing for people they might end up in some other kind of housing environment they might have to go out of san francisco which is actually how san francisco deals with its homeless problem yeah. a lot of time is send people to their family yeah which maybe they're not even that comfortable with right. or like to other people outside the city who can take care of them and so like in this whole time when this happened after biden was elected mm-hmm. um they should have been trying to like figure out more about what's going to happen with mm-hmm. with federal funding mm-hmm. And instead, they were like, well, we don't know what's going to happen with federal funding. It could all turn off. So let's assume the worst case mm-hmm. and let's start shutting down this this homeless housing program in yep. the in the pandemic. Pandemic's mm-hmm. not even done. Vaccine hasn't even started. Hello, right. Uh, and so and so and like several of us called in and we're like, why aren't you? This is a Democrat now. Like, it's yeah. your same party. Yeah. Why, why don't you try to figure out what's happening? Right. Uh, and eventually, like, you know, and I think 
that's why I say I think the Biden administration HUD has been off to a, a decent start. Mm-hmm. They started funding that uh, the hotel housing and even started funding it more retroactively. Mm. And so that was something we didn't anticipate, but like they should have known that and yeah. they, they should have been doing things in good faith, but yeah. rather like it just seemed like wanting to kind of, you know, wipe, wipe their hands, hands clean of, yeah. of what was happening. That's really despicable. Okay, what do we need to do immediately regarding housing? You, we, we went over that, but talk to me about going forward. What are some of the initiatives, efforts, um, et cetera, that you are organizing around? I know about yeah. some of them because I'm in the same meetings as you, but talk to me about what some of those are. Yeah, there are a couple of main things. So at the, I, I don't think we've reached the point yet. There are some folks at the federal level who have been getting involved in advocacy and kind of organizing. Um, I I feel like there's still a lot more to be done before we can pass laws at the federal level mm. related to like public housing for all. Sure. So our needs are, our, our focus must be local. Our focus is local and mm-hmm. uh, state and, and local specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, at the state level, there is this new law that was introduced by Assemblymember Alex Lee. Woo! Uh, I think I might be interviewing him next weekend, I hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who the Bernie Kratz, you know, endorsed. And and uh, it was great to see him make it into the Assembly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the, it's AB 387. It's called the state, it's a Social Housing Act of 2021. Introduced by Alex Lee. Oh. An Assemblymember who Bernie Kratz supported and uh, who a lot of, Folks like DSA uh, also supported because he openly identifies as a democratic socialist politically. That's right, That's right. and you he's, better go ahead. Uh-huh. He's he's a relatively young person as well. Um, I think millennial Gen Z thereabouts. Um, and so he's introduced this law, the Social Housing Act, which is trying to set up a definition of social housing, kind of like as uh, housing that's for a broad range of incomes, uh, kept off of the private speculative market, and mm. that includes. That includes public housing. Mm-hmm. That also includes the nonprofit housing that's kind of been playing the stopgap role. That starts to create um, the potential for more state funding. Ah, one of the it sets mo- the stage for more state funding. Yeah, because uh-huh. one of the difficulties with just doing a local program is you have to put up all the money locally. Yeah, you don't get the matching funds that um, that say nonprofit affordable housing gets uh. through the tax credit system. That's set up at the federal level. Ah. And so, you know, the more that we can get money from the state level, it's definitely going to help places like San Francisco, but also places that don't have the resources of Mm -hmm. San Francisco. Like Mm -hmm. San Francisco, as a city and county, has a big budget. And and also, like, as a place with, uh, you know, high amounts of economic activity, all concentrated in one area. It's a unique place. And so a lot of what's possible in San Francisco just isn't possible in other parts of the Mm -hmm. state. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think so that's an important level at the state level, AB uh, 387. Mm -hmm. Um, it, right now it's just kind of in the very initial stages, but I think, you know, getting people to understand that this is happening mm-hmm. and, and, and get interested in plugging in is important. Mm-hmm. Um, at the local level, what we're involved in is still this kind of advocacy with the mayor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if the mayor, ultimately the department that would implement municipal housing would probably be without having to go to the ballot again, it would be largely under the control of the mayor, Ugh. which we're not we're not fond of. Yeah, and we're not thrilled about that. That's you know that's something a limitation we have to deal with because of how the strong mayor system is in SF. Like mm-hmm. to make something more independent, you have to explicitly create like a charter amendment to set it up. You know, so that maybe part of the the. Uh, part of the commission overseeing the department mm-hmm. is appointed by the board of supervisors. Part of it is by the mayor. Part of it might be some other group. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, you know, you have tenants or something overseeing it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're going to have to deal with that. If the if the mayor's office is not willing to actually do anything mm. in the next 
couple of years, like people need to know they're the bottleneck. And uh, so, uh, you know, Prop K passed with 73 and a half percent of the vote. It was the first step. It was just the authorization. Yeah. But implementing it requires the executive to do something. And if mm -hmm. they're not listening to 73% of voters, then they need to go. They need to get out of the way. Yeah, yeah. basically, they there needs to be a new system that's more independent and that's actually going to... And more responsive to the democratic will of... Tenants and, yeah. and people. Yeah. And yeah. Tenants are people too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Um, so I, I can guess at what you will say, um, but I'm going to ask anyway. What if if you had your druthers about a future to create for us to inhabit? Describe that for me. I mean, I I would create a future with no property value, or maybe another way of putting it is a property value. All all property would like, especially I'm thinking mostly about residential property right now. Mm -hmm. Would be uh, publicly owned. Mm -hmm. uh, it would not be able to be sold. Mm -hmm. And we would create the resources in the public sector to be able to provide good housing for everyone. Hmm. And it would be held accountable because everybody from the politicians to the actors to, to you know, uh, lower wage workers to middle class workers mm -hmm. are all living in the same housing. Mm. And they, you know, they don't get a better unit because of their income. Mm -hmm. uh, and they are in the same system. They have to fight with other people to improve the same system rather than trying to create their own world mm -hmm. where they get to escape from the issues that are affecting poor folks and that are and and and, and basically create a more universal program mm -hmm. like that and i mean the it's very difficult when you have a system of property that is so based on property value mm -hmm. and does not allow um something like what's happening in berlin where there's been a push for Whenever there's a there was a proposal, and I, I don't know exactly how far it's gotten, in but in Berlin, Germany, mm -hmm. where they were trying to say that if um, if a landlord owns more than ten thousand units, they have to basically give the remainder to the state, hmm. and the state will administer that as public housing. The state has already has the capacity to administer mm -hmm. quite a lot of it, um, and well, they, they don't have to give it like at, for free, but mm -hmm. they gave it at a discount. Uh -huh. um, right now, government has to pay market rate to buy property, even if they do eminent domain, eminent domain just kind of is a way of forcing mm -hmm. property to be made public, mm -hmm. but um, you still have to pay market rate and actually you have to pay more because it's a long drawn out process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you don't really have a way. And, and on, the, on the flip side, government in the United States often privatizes property for a dollar. Mm -hmm. They sell property for a dollar mm -hmm. and then it, it, they have no control over how it's used. Ah. And so that system is is really dangerous. Mm -hmm. And um, Why is it dangerous? Because it, it really opens up the possibilities for what's going to happen with that land. Will mm -hmm. it just be used to make profit mm -hmm. for some private person mm -hmm. or some, private, some small real estate trust mm -hmm. instead of serving the broader needs of people? And so... Um, that kind of a system does need to change. And at, even if even if like people are not comfortable with the idea of all property like immediately, and there's not the capacity to even do this, but all property immediately being publicly administered, mm -hmm. there's not even, you know, all the property managers sure. you need for that. But at the very least, like why should government have to pay the same market rate price that other speculators pay when they buy property, right. when it's providing property for the good of people, and right. especially when it's dealing with giant real estate trusts and, mm -hmm. and, and these people who have billions and billions of dollars of money in portfolio, mm -hmm. like it, it should get at least a discount. Like mm -hmm. I'm not talking a huge amount, but 
Yeah. That would definitely make uh, a, a play a big role in making things more feasible. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, all property value in some sense or another, it's speculative. That's right. And it's not even like productive speculation. Like yeah. it's like, you uh, you know, a developer being able to flip a building, a $100,000 building for a million dollars, like that, pr- that the delta <laughs> between the, 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 for what it was acquired for and what it sold for, like that's not, that's not yeah. helping putting food on anyone's table, that not necessarily creating a dignified job for someone, you know, paying, you know, just et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So. Yes. To your yeah, point. and the real estate e- ecosystem is basically the one that's profiting off of all of this. And that's right. I think it's, it's much vampiric. More, yeah, it's and I think it's much more insidious than because we, as you mentioned, like insurance, pharmaceuticals, people are more aware of that. But yeah. the real estate ecosystem is just like the that's just of as money. intimately tied to your daily life as this other like terrible industry, extractive, parasitic industry mm-hmm. yeah and the amount of money being made is just a- astronomical yeah and so yeah I, I so i i think they're like the kind of vision that i have is is a very difficult vision um but, but I that's think what makes it worthy of it's pursuing what, yeah exactly it's what we have to move towards mm, right on this was good and to think you almost didn't let me interview you <laughs> you goober um okay do you have a do you have anything you want to leave us with other than that, I mean, or in addition, do you want to say it again? That's fine too. No, nothing. I think I think I covered quite a lot. Okay, yeah. so thank will you. Will you agree with me that every hoe needs to be housed? <laughs> yes, but not in those terms. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, like this last time I did that. Oh dear, he's <clears throat> he's definitely going to need intake for the uh, support group of bashful brown <laughs> men who. Janelle's now just going to bother you for the rest of your life. <laughs> thank you, Locked. I appreciate it. No, thank you. Just a small note. The fates of implementing Props K and I are still uncertain and up in the air. So if you're in San Francisco, let's push as hard as we can while the budget is being hammered out. Thank you so much to our head housing honcho, Laksh, for being our eyes and ears on this issue. We are in such good hands. All right, subscribe and share. And you know what? This week I have a special request. Please, please, please send me good, productive vibes as I finally try and get What's Left To Do's website live. Thank you so much. Okay, see you next week.